Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Another Monday, happy as hell. I am your host, as always, Timuchin here in Chicago, owner of two happy stuffed dogs and a miserable brother. Uh, so it's been a great Sunday. We're back here with the usual crew. Galley is with us, little blurrier than usual. What's going on, Galley? I don't know, but I can actually hear you to start this show, so we're already cooking with gas. That is a plus, yes. The deer in the headlights look last week was hilarious. I think I watched that a couple of times and just dying every single time. And with us, as always, from live from under the bridge is Paul Bickler. Bickler, what's going on? Just happy to be here, folks. <laughs> yes, we're happy. I, Alan is with us, as always. How's it going, Alan and Brian? Good evening, everybody. Uh, this should be a fun one. I figured even you guys would not be crabby and happy today after yesterday so what a day we had but before we get to the day let's get some good old-fashioned trivia from our friend bj uh pretty darn question actually and topical as well i might add bj what's happening man oh just living the dream after yesterday after a bunch of nightmares yes that was the more that's more than a dream that's one of those i woke up this morning and i was like did that fucking happen and i was like yes it did fucking happen so bj what. Make these guys day because this okay. is what Galley waits for all day. The rest I is know. just icing on the cake. And <laughs> you know, much. And, or just shit on a pile of shit. <laughs> and and Bickler's been on too good of a run lately, so we're not gonna make it that easy, but let's talk about it. Well, this you know, these pre-production meetings that you and I have help. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll have to cut back on those. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, we're calling this one trivia and schadenfreude. The satisfaction and pleasure felt in response to others' misfortune. Because tell you what, I was the Florida dealer in Schadenfreude yesterday, watching the what was going on with Man United. So, anyway, the last goal that Manchester United has scored in league play at Anfield, December sixteenth, twenty eighteen, in the thirty-first minute, I think by Jesse Lingard. It was an equalizer, but anyway, since then. Only Liverpool has scored at Anfield against Manchester United league play. How many goals has it been since Manchester United last had their goal at Anfield? Bickler buying time for Galley. Galley is counting running out of fingers. It's like I, 900, I 900 minutes or something seven. like that. Um, Not minutes, just goals. I know. I'm just trying to do the math. Uh, six. I don't know. Sixty-eight. That's totally wrong. Say it's thirteen. <laughs> Say thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Well, Galley, you're you definitely definitely a lot closer. It's been fifteen. Damn it. Fifteen goals scored by eight different players. One of those players. I would have guessed course. thirty-four different players. So I mean, that's, <laughs> that's eight. <laughs> Eight different players. I one of those sixty-eight goals. <laughs> one of those players, obviously, Mo Salah. How many of those fifteen did Mo Salah score? Eight. Ooh, not a bad guess. Seven. Big uh, is playing prices. Oh, now we're doing prices right. Yeah, one dollar. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, the answer is five. So one third yes! of them <laughs> by Mr. Salah. 
One, still in I, know he's, I know he scored a lot. I think he's had. I think he has twelve or eleven or something against United in his career for Liverpool. In his career, right? Yeah, but and a lot is, of them okay. are at Trafford because he had all those ones. You know, obviously, well, we had the hat trick for one. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that's yeah, right. and the five yep. nothing victory last year. Yep. So. Okay. So good we questions, see... BJ. Now, hold on. We're not done yet. We're not done yet, buddy. We're, We're not, not done yet. yet. But hey, wait, uh, there's more. The trivia session keeps getting longer well, every I, week. I, I, I was just we got to make sure that like, you don't more. get this one. And then so, there's more. Salah had five, and we know Gakpo and Nunez had two each, and Firmino had one. So that's ten. We got five goals left to account for, and four players who scored them. Who were the four players who scored the other goals? Two of them are no longer with the team. Why do you give these tips? Just let them suffer. <laughs> One is Mane. Uh, is I can't remember if the Shakiri goal happened at home or away. It happened at home. Okay. Shakiri. Um, so Mane, Shaq. So those will be the two that are no longer there if we're right. Um, did Virgil have one against United? Come on, people. I feel it was. Let me put him out of your misery. You got, you got Shakiri actually did two, and it was the same match that United scored. The two after that to bring it to a 3 1, and then Van Dyke. Diaz and Mane both in the 4-0 last season. So we only missed Diaz. That's pretty good for we us. Only missed, only missed Diaz. So that was really good, gentlemen. And that Van Dyke, is that the goal with Van Dyke and then the long ball to Mo to seal the deal? Is that that game? Or is that the, the Van Dyke game? I, I think that it I don't I remember. Van Dyke that game is, wasn't like that. I think, I think so. I think the Van Dyke, I think the Van Dyke game is he scores early and then Mo scores late. From Mo, the alley, one right? thing the is one clear. Thing. Yeah, one thing is clear. Mo certainly likes to take his shirt off against United. He's, More yellow like car- seven, he's got seven yellow cards in his career for Liverpool or something crazy like that, and like four of them or five of them are against United. He's had more yellow cards for taking his shirt off or scoring against Man United than Man United has scored against us while he's been there. <laughs> Mateusz wow. says seven questions tonight. And at least with partial credits... If you combine, yep. combine all the partial credits, they got one right. So that's yep. that's not too shabby over there. BJ, thanks a lot, man. Keep him coming. We ended yep. up bigger streak. That's a win by itself. That was that was the important thing. Y'all take care, gentlemen. <laughs> take it easy. We gotta renegotiate these contracts. We gotta renegotiate these contracts, Gally. This is getting well, out of here. Gally is meanwhile is like uh, making a note, like talk about BJ's team on Thursday night podcasts. <laughs> On the fantasy podcast, putting a plug for BJ's team. Well, let's get to the even better stuff. What's better than trivia, you'll say? Well, this is a lot. This is even better than trivia. This kind of like made my day. Let's face it. I don't think any of us saw this coming. Uh, Gally, let's start with you. Um, So before we go into the specifics and things like that, let's look at the big picture. What does this say about us? And what does it say about United? So it's probably too much being like there's too many victory laps being taken right now by Liverpool saying, oh, we're back and pounding our chest. We're great again. Right. And there's probably too much. See, I told you they were all shit all along because when you play these emotional matchups, a ball or two can bounce. A thing can go, you know, and and things break. I honestly think if if 
if Rashford buries the one timer that comes to him that he has buried against every other side since the World Cup in the first half, or if Fernandez doesn't miss that header across Allison and miss by a foot, you never know how this match goes. I mean, it, the first goal was really, really important. And I think both sides played that way. We were great for 20 minutes. I don't think we were good from minute 20 to 40. I know there are a lot of people that said we outplayed them. They had better opportunities than us in the first half. Our first shot on goal went in. And then our second, third, fourth, and fifth shots on goal all went in. I mean, that's what people don't realize. We scored on our first six shots on goal in the match. When you're getting that kind of finishing, there is your play. But the second half play was not what we saw in the first half. That was a completely even match in the first half. And I think the difference was, was everyone wanted to make out how Ten Hag would make changes because they had more form and they had players with higher confidence. And the shocking part was, was that our midfield ran all over theirs. And to me, that's where the match was won. Our strikers finished and our midfielders put them in positions all match long to create opportunities. And I think that was the thing from the get-go and I agree. I mean, I agree with the statement that they definitely had the better chances in the first half and they could have scored. But I guess if you play that game with our fast games, you know, you could have said there were a bunch of games that we could have scored first. But when you look at the play, I felt like even though they got the better positions, like, you know, in situation to score, I thought in terms of like the gameplay and when you looked on the field, to me, it looked like Liverpool had more of a will and desire to win like getting to the second balls and that midfield, oh, like running no and the front three running like there was. I think that was the most impressive thing to me. I mean, when you listen to the United fans afterwards saying like, oh, we all played him in the first half. I mean, I think in terms of, yeah, like had better scoring opportunities, but Bickler, I didn't think they outplayed us. I think even is a good statement because I think even though we were more what's the word I'm looking for here? I mean, it just looked like we wanted it more. I know that's a cliche and stuff like that, but getting to those second balls all the time and kind of like putting pressure on them, not creating perhaps, but we were putting the pressure on them by keeping possession over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of this comes down to how they prefer to play, but you know, their best, they had the better chances first half, but they were coming in transition out, out of being on the back foot. So like, I I think that's the difference. Like they had those chances, right. But they weren't created from sustainable pressure. Um, And I think if you looked at Liverpool, yeah, you said it right. Like there was a frontline press for, I thought for the, well, I will say we've, we've started to see this over the course of the last probably two or three matches. The press is starting to come back and it almost feels like the legs are just slowly getting, back into the squad, um, which is interesting because it's coming in a team where the rest of the league is really struggling. If you watch uh, play throughout the league, it's not, I mean, Newcastle's hitting a wall right now. Um, I mean, you look at Arsenal's second straight performance where they started struggling. Like, I mean, it's, it's, uh, this is a part where fatigue is starting to set in on this year. And I think that we're starting to feel like a team that's getting its legs back under them at a really good time. And I thought, you know, I did think that, I, I didn't feel confident going into the half because of how this year has gone, but I felt like we had, I felt like we had the upper hand going into that half. Yeah. I mean, Matosh says we've heard all year about this team creating the most big chances. I mean, I haven't seen the results. This kind of finishing was bound to catch up even for one game. And I think that's part of it. And I don't know the second half, 
I mean, we'll get to United towards the end again, I think. But, I mean, that was a team that just freaking gave up. And if your captain gives up, obviously everybody else is going to give up. And I think in, in some ways, you know, when we were building that momentum, we were talking about it this morning with the Polish Prince, actually, on the breakfast show, too. Um, like, it felt like we were building momentum and that the Madrid game set us back two, three weeks, Gally. <laughs> Like in terms of the result, you were like, oh, clean sheets, you know, we're starting to win and stuff. So now the Wolves game and this game, I feel like, you know, you're starting to build the momentum again. Do you think this is basically our starting 11 almost moving forward, barring an injury? Since no. We're going to have pretty much one game a week or what's no. going to add or what's going to change in this team? I, I don't. Um, Elliot can't or uh, Henderson can't play every week and give you that performance. He can't even give it to you for 90 minutes once a week. And that's the thing. Like you saw Henderson actually have a little bit of bounce in his step because he wasn't asked to play midweek and they, they will have more games. We have two different makeups that we have to play midweek. We have games we have to play and there's going to be other rescheduled matches. I honestly believe what we saw yesterday moving forward, I do think is going to be a big part of the midfield with probably Bashatich rotating in as well. Um, And I think that in some ways, you almost have to play Milner and Henderson as like one human being. And you play one for 60 or 70 minutes. You let the other one play 20 minutes. You start the other one in big matches where you need leadership. You let the other one finish it. And you you mitigate their legs. What I do think we're going to see is I think we're going to see Harvey Elliott from the start until someone else proves they belong to be there and ahead of him. He earned it yesterday. It was a big boy performance in a big time match. But I will say this, right? Isn't it funny? that coinciding with the front three starting to press is also coinciding with the midfield looking a little better, which has yeah. also been coinciding with clean sheets. Like we always yeah. talk about how we, that we defend from the front. And I think Gakpo kind of understanding how to lead that press. And though Darwin still checks off at times and gets lost, um, his sheer energy and will to change a match and run down a player. I think it is infectious. I mean, you caught Mo two or three times tracking back in this matchup, picking up Rashford, picking up players in the defensive third. And I'm thinking to myself, like, we never used to see that, right? Mo would be the one guy who would kind of hang up top. Mane did all the dirty work on the other side. And it feels like everyone has bought in that, like, this is the way forward for them. And it, it was something special to see yesterday. I, I still don't want to get too excited because we got to show up next weekend and, like, pick up three points or this was literally for nothing. Um but you got to feel good right now. Fifth place, three points out of the Champions League spots with a game in hand and a dominating goal difference on everyone in the top half. And so is that due to the scope of the game, you think, Bickler? I mean, is this team really starting to put together? Or this was something <clears throat> that, you know, before we went out, because the last home game, I mean, like I say, like they came out with this game, it looked like with a purpose. And it really showed from the first minute, the way we pressed, the way we chased. It was that like hunting in packs thing again back. It was almost like, you know, like going back to a few years ago where we constantly hunted in packs, won the ball right away, kind of like circulated, attacked again, put the pressure on over and over again. You think, you know, like Galley saying like more tracking back, everybody pressing a lot better, kind of almost like giving – as they say in the sports world, 110%. Uh, is that mainly because of the scope of the game? Like, are we going to be able to see it again against Bournemouth? Early game, mind you. Let's, mind that. let's put that in the, in the quotes as well. Oh, no. Not a Bournemouth early match. 
is it sustainable? I mean, I think that's the million dollar question. Um, I think it is sustainable and I'll tell you why, because of the players that we're getting back. When you look at Jota back in the mix, Darwin back in the mix, fully healthy. And I think Gakpo is like evolving in front of us. Like I feel like his last two matches really showed us some things we haven't seen. Um, and he's probably getting a lot more comfortable with the situation at the club. Um, but I think it is sustainable because of the, the really Darwin and Gakpo. And who would have come into this season saying that? Saying a player that we didn't expect to have and a player we didn't expect to see playing regularly until midway through the season would kind of be what's going to drag us over the line if we get there. Um, so I think it is sustainable. I mean, I think the really – the uh, look, this – this result didn't change anything in terms of the fact that we have had the piecemeal in Hail Mary, this midfield together. Um, and that's going to be, I mean, I don't think that changes. Um, I, I agree with Galley that we, I think we see Harvey all the way through from here on out. Uh, it should have been Nabby. He's Nabby's made it very clear that he doesn't feel the need to professionally fulfill his end of his contract. He's done. Like he, you can tell he doesn't give a shit. His, his last performance was just a player who didn't care. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's Harvey's opportunity. And I think, um, I think that'll be interesting because I think Harvey has a chance to really make, uh, make this a difficult decision for them going into next year when in all intents and purposes, they need a, a serious midfield retool. Uh, and I don't think this match changed that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing when you look at the like the starting eleven, and I was like, is this our like starting front three now, Galley? And when Diaz gets back, like does he earn that spot from Nunez, or is it just a part of a rotation? I mean, I was gonna talk a lot about Bobby today, and who? I mean, Bickler and I know you're a huge fan, uh, so of Bobby. So like. Looks like Yakpo is going to be the guy. Maybe we thought Carvalho was going to be. We kind of talked about this on last week's podcast. Is it too early to know and stuff like that? But it looks like that's what we're grooming Gakpo to be. And we're leaving Nunez on the wing. So, but do you see like like you know, moving down when Diaz comes back? And let's face it, we don't know if he's gonna come back in good condition this year. But do you see this as the future front three? The old Mane Mo Bobby turning into Mo Gakpo Nunez. I, I I think if if let's this is a huge if if by the beginning of next season Diaz is back to his imperial form of last season, I think he's our best option on the left wing because he stays out wide, he creates, and I still think that they bought Darwin to play through the center, and I think the kid is young enough he can still develop. Do I think he's better off coming off from the left or playing off of another striker? Yes, but I also think Gakpo's better playing as a ten. So maybe Klopp will have to either make a transition out of the formation, and that might be, to Paul's point, with a retooled midfield that allows you to do that. Because, you you know, if you have a player like Bellingham who can basically play two roles of your midfield, you are easier off to play with an attack-minded number 10 type player. There's also a chance that not all these players will still be here. You know, we don't know what Summers will, you know, for all we know, Jota, some deal could come in, someone could offer a good deal for Jota. You know, who knows? Maybe somebody turns Darwin or or Diaz's head and a Barcelona, Real Madrid someday come calling and they think maybe they cash in. Or even a Gakpo, you don't know. So I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. 
I do think for now Darwin is on the left. I question if Diaz was healthy all along, if Darwin and Gakpo wouldn't be playing through the middle and Diaz wouldn't be our first choice on the left. Like, I think a lot of that is, is there's no one else available and it made Darwin fit, made us allow us to get the most out of Darwin when we needed so much out of him. But I won't just say, yeah, for sure, this is it. Um, Cause I, I just, I think that, I think Diaz is just too damn good. I, I can't forget what I saw out of Diaz to think that he just won't be able to work his way back in. I think he'll have to earn it, but I do think that eventually he's still our best player on the left wing. Yeah, I mean, Jamie says Diaz needs to bulk up to get a look. I thought, I mean, yeah, I mean, before he gets got injured, he was by far our best player on the field, and that includes Mo and everybody else. So I think Diaz, that's got to be Carvalho. You think that's yeah. what he means? I was that. Yeah, yeah it can't be. Yeah, needs to bulk no. up. Uh, we, I don't we, know if Carvalho. The Champions yeah, we'll get to Carvalho. I don't even know if we're gonna see uh, much siding of him. To be honest with you, moving forward. But let me ask you the same thing to you. I mean, the thing that I like seeing with this three playing together, and you can kind of see it more and more, is how kind of like interchangeable. No, see, he insists. He says Diaz. I don't think Diaz is a strength issue, and I think he's a better winger because i think that's his natural position as opposed to nunez who's kind of like playing there um i like the interchange between nunez and gakbo it feels like they can constantly overlap and change positions whereas you would not be able to for example do that as much with diaz and like playing him suddenly up the middle how do you see that front three moving forward becker god i don't know because i think it's you got a player that Darwin, who you want to play centrally, that loves to play out on the left, and you've got a player in Gakpo who wants to play out on the left that's better centrally. So, and then you've got Jota, who you know likes playing left but's better centrally. It's just there's a lot of like everybody wants the left. <laughs> and then you've got some four-year-old substituting in for Salah if we ever need a right winger. Um, I don't know. Like uh, it just, I don't, I don't know where that goes. Um, I think. I got to believe if Diaz is anywhere near the player he was pre-injury, he starts, I mean, for me. But the Galleys is really interesting because if I'm another team and I'm looking at – I'm looking to poach a really nice player from a team, Jota's in prime position to leave. I mean, he's a rotational piece right now. Um, He has the capability to start for just about everyone. Um, And he's in a a particular position where we have a lot of depth. So, I mean, he'd be a prime target for somebody to come in over the top of the big bid. I could see that happening. Um, and I could see the club. I, I mean, I think that's almost like a good move for Jota and a good move for us. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to keep him and have the depth because I think, if, if anything, we've proven that depth is important this year, right? So, I think long-term-wise, I would, I would think that you'd have Diaz out left. Um, there's still a part of me that wonders if the, if the plan is – and I hate this, but there's a part of me that thinks the plan is uh, Gakpo is the long-term solution centrally. Darwin left, and Diaz gets flopped Diaz, right, right when Mo is Mo yeah. is aging. That uh, might be, and that could be it. I yeah. I think the one you mentioned earlier, the Carvalho item. I I honestly think that there's a good chance that this doesn't work. And I and I yeah. say this at all. Like I think Carvalho goes out on loan next year, guys. Because I think we buy enough midfielders. Klopp has realized he's not a midfielder. He's a front player. And we're going to be six, seven deep. And literally, he becomes Taki. And we just watch his value drop. But if you send him out on loan to, like, Crystal Palace and he actually proves he can be a Premier League 
attacking player. You send him back to Fulham if they want him. And I honestly think that his value gets re he gets re-energized. Maybe he comes back a player in a couple of years. But right now there isn't a position for Carvalho and there isn't a future. Uh, it's but painful if you guys to say are it. moving Jota out and Bobby is leaving. I mean, Ox is leaving. That does not. I mean, now you have to make brand new signings for your fronts, which before was a position of strength where you could focus on midfield. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm saying Jota may be going out. That's just a if no, no, it no, happens. I'm just if saying, someone no, but came if in, we do pull the trigger. Now you'd lost entire depth. That's up. You're down to. Four I think points. that's a different story. I, I, I don't think that's the plan. I think that's more of if that were to happen, you have the depth to do it. But, I mean, you think Klopp's going to keep more than five or six top earning offensive attacking players, and he's still going to bleed in the dokes. He's going to bleed in the the young kids if are healthy, the Kyde Gordons if they're healthy enough to to challenge with the squad. I don't know. I just, I, I. The Carvalho thing is really, really bad. Like, the kid can't get on the pitch, and, and nobody says much about him. He doesn't make match day squads. I mean, it's it's not a good look. I think the, the problem is, you know, being out of all the League Cups and FA Cup and stuff like that obviously eliminates all those yeah. games where he would be able to kind of, like, squeeze in, get a, maybe get a performance, get more minutes and stuff like that. So, obviously, that hurts him. And I guess I can see him – you know, in a tacky role moving forward, for example, playing those games, maybe being the hero in those games, kind of like stature-wise and stuff. I don't, we don't know yet if his finishing and stuff would be uh, as good. But, yeah, I mean, the way things are looking right now, you have Bobby and Jota on the sideline while you have this front three out there. It's kind of hard for him to get a spot. And I think we've seen that he cannot really carry the workload that we want in midfield because you got to figure despite all this Elliot was able to say I got this and kind of earn his minutes and earn his time Carvalho was just not able to and sometimes maybe unfairly because we did play him on the left wing and stuff like that too but even when he did get opportunities in the midfield I just felt like he did not you know give you what you needed from that spot so let's go back to midfield because I thought you know that was kind of like the strength, like you were saying, Galley. So Bickler, I mean, do we are we getting the old fab back, or is this all about getting a lot of rest of for these guys to be able to get this? Will we get this once a week from Fab and Hand? I mean, he certainly looked better the last two outings, but I'm not ready to I'm not ready to say he's the same dude. Um, I mean, we've just seen it was too long of a, a drop in form for me to comfortably say at this point he's back. So, I mean, cautiously optimistic, I think would be the right word for me. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, certainly much better. That whole midfield was ticking though. And I thought Harvey just ate up those half spaces and lived in them. He really, he really knitted the midfield and the forward line together in a way that we haven't seen people do since prime Bobby. So, yeah. uh, and, but he did it in a different, from a different position, position, which uh, we're not used to seeing, but I thought he was absolutely tremendous, especially first half when we, when the game was in the balance. Going back to the Agreed. game though, Gally, did Ten Hag do us a favor? And you know, here's the thing we were talking about this, uh, this morning as well. I mean, if I gave you uh, like a formation chart and the attacking yeah. mid center forwards, left wing was open. Then I told you, okay, you got Fernandez, Werkhorst, and Rashford. 
I think this one would be the last combination you would put in where Fernandez is on the left, Weghorst is playing 10, and in front of him is Rashford. Would this game be totally different if Ten Hag maybe pulled a pep in a way, kind of like overthinking this? If he has Rashford on that side with speed, I don't know if Harvey's getting as much space and Harvey's having as much freedom knowing he has to kind of help out more defensively. Oh, he definitely wouldn't have. And, and you know, I, I don't think Trent was that great yesterday, honestly. That wasn't, for me, if I were rating players from Liverpool's standpoint, I thought Trent was okay. I thought the few times they actually got at him and ran at him, he put himself in his normal Trent positions that put us under pressure and Kanate bailed him out a couple times. Um, and then he almost gave up the penalty to Rashford that was a penalty and would have been a red card and sending off, by the way, if, if Fernandez wasn't offsides on the play. So there is also that rash challenge that he went in on. I wasn't a big fan of that decision because it's still nil nil or it's one nil at that time. So I, um, I didn't love it. I, I think that if you put Rashford on the left-hand side, Trent has to defend more. Harvey has to hang back. There's no two ways about that. I also think Veghorst just doesn't work. This was just another colossal mistake. Like, if a guy is a failure at Burnley, he is not going to do the business at United. I don't care what nationality he is. I don't care where or how he was playing in in the Dutch leagues or wherever the hell he was. Well, he was in Turkey, right? He was is playing for Bikiktas, and he was not that good. Because when I told my brother, I mean, it, that was the joke. Like, he was, you know, they were like, oh, they signed a big time. You know, they call it, like, daddy center forward kind of a guy, you know. And, I mean, he wasn't that. I mean, he has the size. So, we were actually making fun of him because of his performances with my brother. And then I find out, I'm like, dude, you guys signed the daddy center forward. And he's like, who the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, Wackers went to fucking, like, Manchester United. He's like, get the fuck out of here. Are you serious? Because, like... Here's the thing. It, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, he would be a kick-ass center forward, I think, a striker number nine in the Premier League back in those days. He has zero pace. I mean, pace right now. And I just don't understand what he brings unless... I mean, if you watch the World Cup, he was always kind of like a desperation guy who would come in right. as they're like lowering it into the box and stuff. When you're not playing it like that, why he's even get that guy? He's basically key for more for Wales. Like, yeah, basically like that's not. what yeah. he is. I mean, yeah. like this is what I'm talking about. Manchester United went out and decided, I know what will save the season. Kiefer Moore. We'll get rid of Ronaldo. We'll sign Kiefer Moore. And maybe a worse version with less Premier League goals. Um, but it, it just doesn't make sense. The Leghorst thing didn't make sense. And to be honest, so while we're talking about Ten Hag helping us out, starting DeLott, who is a much better attack-minded uh, right back than Wambasaka. Made absolutely zero sense, um, you know. And and really, let's be honest. Every single time they hand Anthony a a jersey, you can just I I can just hear the board like calling down and being like, you know, we should start that guy we paid ninety million for this summer, right? We should probably play that guy we paid because he doesn't look like he belongs. I mean, that guy looks like he should be doing his crazy little flicks and tricks and taking it down behind his back and all this shit playing for PSG or something. He does not look like, and I know United's got some flair. That's way more Brazilian flair than even the United supporters want. He's a liability on the pitch. And you saw it. He's never crossed the ball. He doesn't go forward. He just dribbles sideways and then makes a awkward pass. 
Isn't there some beautiful irony in that Anthony is the reason they didn't have money to sanction the Gakpo purchase? <laughs> right. <laughs> they got ten. I actually wanted. They didn't play their cards right either. I mean, they could have probably gotten Anthony for a lot less and be able to afford Gakpo. Yes. And yeah, where do you stand on Anthony? By the way, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because as I watched that guy, yeah, I mean. He can create his own shot, but this isn't freaking basketball, like trying to create your own shot. Like he keeps cutting in and taking a shot, which is nice and dandy, but it just doesn't feel like, and I don't know, maybe because he needs more time, but you don't have any of that overlap or chemistry on that side of the field. Maybe because they don't have that, you know, like the chemistry with the lot or whatever. But Here's my thing. You can have all that pace and all that, Sort of that quick twitch, change of direction stuff that he does that can be dangerous. You can have all that, but if you're a counterattacking side, it doesn't mean shit if he doesn't come back. <laughs> like, yeah, like especially the way they play, dude. You gotta got dudes up top that have pace, but also can play in your own half. And he just he not I don't even know if that it's he can't do it rather than he just doesn't care to do it. <laughs> like, um, I mean, and that comes down to a lot of things. Honestly, I think. I think there were so many things that set up. Uh, I mean, I don't want to discredit uh, discredit this Liverpool side because I think we played tremendously well. Anytime you beat a team 7-0, there has to be a series of things that go in your favor, right? I mean, it's not just you played well. I thought Ten Hag lost, uh, lost this match on, on paper. It was almost like a classic Pep overthink. Like, yeah. you have the hottest striker on planet Earth right now, and you you don't play him up top. You have like a creative number 10 that you put the armband on and then you play him on, on the wing and then you put a your classic power number nine in a 10 role. Like I felt like it like we joked about it this morning on on your your coffee talk. It's like it, it was almost like Ten Hog had them pick their positions out of a hat. It was like it didn't make any sense to me. Like it, it didn't make any sense where those guys were positioned to begin with. And then, you know, I'm, I've been longstanding Bruno apologist. I think that he's a quality player. I think that he's dynamic. I think he does things that few players in the world can do from a perspective with the ball on his foot, but there's no excuse for your captain giving up with 30 minutes to play in a match, the wenging, the throwing the hands up, the refusing to track back, asking me subbed off. Like it was just as bad a look as you could possibly have on somebody. Um, uh, and it was really embarrassing to watch somebody have such a lack of self-awareness um, in such a big spot. So, I mean, he's definitely got egg on his face. Um, Ten Hag didn't, didn't help that team. Ten Hag didn't help that team, and, and those players didn't help him. It was a it was a failure across the board on all levels for them. And I think, I mean, this right here, you know, like this was the moment where I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, if this is your captain right here, when he gets passed, he's just like, Ah, fuck it. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, this is your captain, and I think that's, like, the only problem. Because, I mean, Gally, the only comment, like, you know, you're like, what is Ten Hag thinking? Apart from pulling a pep, like I said, you know, like, on overthinking it. He must have thought, you know, Fernandez is going to track back more than Rashford. I can't just think of any other reason why the hell he would say, yeah, why don't I put Rashford up top and put this guy on the left? I mean, I think he thought that the best way to get at us was to have Rashford in the center of the pitch because he knew his seven-foot, you know, big-man striker can't score goals. And I think he wanted Rashford in the middle because I think he believed 
they were going to come at us, play that we were going to play, try to be aggressive, try to take it at United, try to win that match at home, and that they were going to hit us on the counter, which they almost did two or three times in the first half. So and in some ways, like Rashford had two opportunities through the middle, and Fernandez had two great opportunities out on the left. So it's not like they didn't get those guys into positions to have chances to score goals. It didn't happen. And if either of them score, then they probably drop people back. I mean, you saw That's the just, setup. I mean, Casemiro and Fred, that just, it why, just why screams. Why would you That's the whole thing. The whole thing pivots on trying to pigeonhole Veghorst in the side when you have – one of one of the hottest young prospects in Garnacho who's been on fire out there that you could play up top on the wide. Like you don't have to pigeonhole that dude into the side. I don't. I, it's weird. It's, I think that was that was about hold up to me, and that was about bringing other players close to him so other guys like Rashford could run off of him. And honestly, I think it was a f- sheer physical presence to try to try to put a body against Van Dyke and Canate, knowing that they didn't have size up top. And you're not starting Garnacho in this match, because that kid would have been sent off in the first 15 minutes. That kid would have got a red card in the first half. I think, I mean, McTominay came in, should have got a red card within 10 minutes. Um, Sancho was sick, they said. Anthony, though. I mean. Yeah, this is what I think they come down to. They have Martial hurt. Um, Sancho was sick and wasn't fit enough to start, they said. He was fit enough to make the bench. Um, or I don't even know if he was on the bench. I think he was just sitting with the team. Uh, but I, I, I think that they're a little light. I mean, this is what happens when you pay a guy 500,000 pounds a week and you have to let him go on this January 1st and you're not able to replace him. I mean, all their eggs were in the Ronaldo basket and they're short. They're short up top. And I think you see it. And that's why they go out and sign a guy like Veghorst. And I think tactically he got it wrong but I think it was more about what we did in the second half to get it right. Cause the first half at one nil, they're right in that match, even with 10 Hag lining them up in wrong positions. And let's play devil's advocate here. Like, I mean, obviously we started the second half with those back-to-back goals and the game is pretty much out of reach. And yeah, in most teams probably, well, if you have a captain that's doing what that guy is doing, obviously that's not going to happen, but most teams will probably try to kind of say, you know what, let's not make this any worse. Maybe we'll snag one and see what happens. But they, it almost felt like they played more and more open, Bickler, and almost like just set up the table for us to get those goals. And here's the thing, like how much credit do you give to us for getting those goals? How much do you give to United just losing their discipline altogether? Well, Look, I, I think like the com- fact that we kept going at it. Yeah, like, I think it was a combination of both. And like you know, like I've been big on this. We've talked about how we haven't gotten a penalty in like fifteen years, right? Like, but we made goals in this match because we had the ball in dangerous areas of the pitch. Like that's, I mean, especially the goal where I think it like ricochets. Like Jota comes in, it ricochets off a United player. It falls to. Uh, I can't remember if that was the solid goal. I think it was solid. That was goal that was Mo's second. Most yeah, second, most yeah. second. Because they were going mean, to call it offside. Just, that just comes from having the ball in a dangerous spot, right? I mean, uh, it, uh, look at the the second goal right out of halftime. I mean, we had the ball on top of the on top of the penalty box. It dragged around, pinged off a few people. Not, like, Nunes was able to drag it wide, and, and chaos ensued. So, like, good things happen if you keep it in dangerous areas. And I think we did a good job of that in the second half as we just kind of piled on that pressure, put it in dangerous spots. I, and, like, look, I don't want to, like – 
I don't want to discredit Liverpool. I think, I think what we saw was basically the equivalent of a FIFA rage quit when like they opened up and tried to like, they're like, yes. we're going to score no matter what. And it's like, when it was All like, dude, like-, <laughs> like when like the sensible thing would to be like, dude, let's pack it up and keep it respectable right now. Like, let's like, let's not like, let's not make this loss feel like a loss for the next three weeks by like doing that because loss is like seven. I mean, Goldbridge was beautiful on this. This shit matters. Cause this stuff fucking stays with you. A loss like this stays with you and it can become toxic. So like it's, it's, I think veteran teams pack it up and live to fight another week, even if it's in a rivalry game. And I think, you know, they essentially FIFA rage quit opened up and just folded. I mean, you saw it all over the pitch there. I mean, they were, they got really reckless. I was like worried that we were going to get through, not hurt. Um, turns out we just needed our own fans to get hurt. Um, and like, so I think like, I think it was a combination of things, but like, I also look at like, dude, both of Gakpo's goals are fucking world-class goals. Yes. Like that, that first strike and the second one where he just chip, like that's vintage Mo. Mo da- used to do that. And his, pro- the little chip, like, like over the top. Close to the corner. Yep. Yeah. Little dribble. Oh, no, the, the, um, the first one, the touch out of his feet to get it yeah. out of his feet and set it up. And, and he's doing it at full speed. Now, I will say on one hand, right, we finally see Gakpo coming from a wide position, taking a through, taking a run behind a defender, one touch to his right, and burying it. And all I could think of was Megan in the crowd going, I told you to put him on the fucking left. I told you to play him out wide. Like, it's only in my mind because she's been one of the ones pounding that the most, right? And I see why he's in the center because he can do everything, right, left. He's whole big, he's strong. It's it's all there. And he and he drops deep, and he brings other players in. I mean, you, it's the closest we've ever seen to something looking like Bobby. It really is. Even just to he's bigger like, and faster. How he glides yeah. on the pitch, which is and, really really. And I don't want to like I don't want to overlook that that Darwin Nunes header is ridiculous. Like that. I mean, that was an unreal header. That second one where he, he almost gets it off the back of his head and, yeah. and redirects it. But, I mean, that wasn't a lucky header. Like, that was uh, knowing where yes, to be and how to do it. Like, he gets fortunate. I'm like, yeah, you don't get no. fortunate and twist your neck that way at no. the same time. That's not fortunate. Nope. No. That was, that was a class, learned, he, class goal. He, he straight up learned that from Ali, um, like, in, uh, in practice. But, like, I think uh, – so there was some definite – like, I mean, there's some crazy quality. But it all starts with we brought the press back. We were winning the ball in the final third. We were clinical in front of goal. Like all these things clicked together. And I think it was a combination of clicking together and a team that just emotionally caved in on themselves 55 minutes into the match, which if you're a title contender, if you're a true team that thinks that you're going to contend for titles, you don't see that happen at the emotional level. And I think that's the scary thing. If I'm a United fan, I don't care that we lost seven nil. I care that we lost like that, like, like that. The biggest thing, the attitude, the response to what was happening, and like I say, like that, you know, when you were building the momentum, that Madrid game, Madrid game puts you back. I feel like you know they had that momentum going, and I know they were stumbling, but either way, they were winning, and that's you know like you got to win ugly and all that kind of stuff. I feel like this seven zero will kind of like bump them back just because of the way that happened. Because going back to that goal that you were talking about, if that game is zero zero and you have a defenders with a good mindset. Shaw is booting that to a corner kick and playing it safe and corner kick. Let's get settled down over here and defend it. 
but their mindset was so off. He just like tries to just randomly almost like playing dodgeball, like trying to kick it into a guy. And that's why that ball bounces back for like, you know, what looks like a simple tap. And I mean, they lost their head. I mean, more power to them. Thankful for it. But that's why I was wondering, like, how much credit do we get out of this? But ultimately, Gally, you got to figure we caused them to lose that head in the first place. Yeah, well, and the rivalry itself, the pressure, they felt it going into the match. Like, they came in the betting favorites at a match at Anfield. They were walking in supposed to win. And if they won, the narrative was they were in they were in with a shout. And they're still in the FA Cup. And they're the betting favorites to win the Europa League. So, like, the idea was multiple trophies, true progression, and go finally do what you haven't been able to do. Score some goals. And not just score some goals. They were coming to win 3-0. They were coming to win 4-0. They weren't coming to try to eke out a Jose Mourinho. Uh, Lukaku will knock it down, and Jesse Lingard will run onto it and score a goal, right? Like, they were coming to, to play, and it clearly didn't work. And maybe they woke a sleeping giant. I'm not going there yet because – you got. I got to see him come out, get another clean sheet against Bournemouth, put in another good performance. You don't got to win nine nothing. You don't got to win seven nothing. Hell, I, I, you can win three to one, but you got to go out there and 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 handle the business. You got to show that we're going to take three points for matches we're supposed to. Because now, honestly, there's no excuses not to get into the top four. We have less matches to play than everyone else. Honestly, we should. Our goal right now should be running down United. And trying to get back to third the same way we ran down Chelsea when nobody thought we could get to third that year and everyone was like, ah, they won't get fourth. And then we finished, and then the season ends, and you're like, how the fuck do we finish third? And that should be our goal here. Our goal should be, you know, secure points. And you know what? Play a part in who wins this goddamn title. I don't care how you play that part. I don't care if you take three points off Arsenal. I don't care if you get a draw with City at City and you take their chance away. Play a role in who wins this title by kind of reestablishing yourself as one of the dominant sides because they make a couple smart signings. This team goes right back to a chance to win all trophies again next year. They're not that far away. We've seen it. And that's the thing. I mean, it's almost like you're cautious. You don't want to get too excited, but I kind of like the progression we're seeing in terms of as people come back. I mean, we didn't even get to Konate, but I thought he had like an excellent game. So you have that center back pairing back to where he should be. Your back line looks automatically a lot better. I think Trent looks better defensively just because Konate is over there as well. Yep. Because he provides that speed and size and everything like that. Fab and Handel looks better. Elliot probably, I mean, aside from one mistake in the first half, I thought he played like an excellent game. You have a tough time trying to pick a man of the match kind of thing when you look at the performance. So I guess the big question now is, Bickler, will they be able to carry this on? I kind of liked what I heard after the game from like Mo and Hando and stuff like that, but obviously they're going to say the right stuff. Do they, you have two different parts now, right? United is trying to make sure this doesn't derail everything. And we have us almost like trying to control and downplay the excitement. Will we be successful in saying, hey, this is just a stepping stone. This is how we can freaking play. Now let's go do it again. Uh, I certainly hope so. I mean, that's the thing about football. And I think that's the th this weekend was such an amazing testimony to that, right? I mean, you had Everton score two big boy goals and not be able to hang on. You had Bournemouth, who we got next, who's at the bottom of the league in a relegation scrap. 
basically manhandle Arsenal for most of that match and then somehow lose it in the final seconds. So, I mean, everything can change. I mean, and it's amazing what a difference a couple of weeks can make for a side. I, what I do say, I liked what I heard post game too. Uh, I talked about how like this scoreline can be toxic for, for a club. Uh, it can also be something that completely injects life into a club. So, I mean, look, we beat Bournemouth 9-0. So we've seen this already this year. What I like is I think the body language is a lot different. And like they, this seems like like this seems like a club that's that's mentally checked in right now. And so I I think if they can stay mentally checked in, I think we've got a, a shot um with the legs coming back. So I like that combination. I think they can, but like I said, Bournemouth gave Arsenal all they could handle this weekend. So this is not something that we can just stroll out and expect three points yep. to walk itself into the bag because that's not gonna happen. I agree. So what do you stand on that, Galley? I mean, what should we expect or what is your gut feeling? I guess nobody knows. In the great words of Schmeichel, I don't know what's going to happen this match. But, you know, what do you expect? What is your gut feeling in terms of how this helps moving forward? I Oh, I think it helps no matter what because it's three points where if you were going down the list of three points, one point, three points, like what I'll take from each of these matches – you would have, you'd want to win at home against any team, but you would have taken a draw there. If someone had given you the draw automatically that morning, so you get this one point, you probably take it out of the run of form of where we were. The goal has to be to continue to put in good performances, and I think we'll get them. I, I genuinely think this side will finish on the top four. I've been saying that for a few weeks now. I think the Gakpo signing in January was – we all questioned it because we needed a midfielder. But then when we really looked at the depth up top, we realized that we needed a front-line player because I think Klopp knew that even when he got Bobby back, he was probably getting more of a bit part Bobby for the rest of the year, a, a substitute appearance Bobby, not a guy he's going to rely on from the start. And I don't know that he ever thought he would get Jota or Diaz to 100% fitness by the end of the year. And I'm not sure we're going to get either of those players. I mean, Jota still looked rusty. He looks like a guy who can give you 10, 20 minutes a match. And I think for a little while, that's probably what we're going to see out of him. An occasional start where he's the first one subbed off. And I think we're going to see these guys up front. And I, I think as long as the goals are happening, I think that's the most important thing. And I think we have to keep the Fabinho Bashitic, um rotation healthy because we know it gets a lot worse when you start playing Henderson, Milner, or even Thiago in that role. It just doesn't work with the so way that we play. Let me ask you this, since you mentioned that. If you're deciding on you know, who to rotate when, when do you pick those guys specifically? Like, When do you insert Basetic into a lineup? What kind of a game, I should say? Bournemouth. I insert him against away? Bournemouth. Really? Okay. And I, I would I would. I think he's proven that he can play home or away at this point. And I think that you start a player like Henderson in a big, big match against a rival like United where you need your captain on the pitch. I think we saw a captain's performance from Henderson. That type of performance where you can roll back the years for ninety minutes or seventy five minutes, whatever it is you're asked for. And he rolled it back, but I also think he gave you like a match and a half worth of effort in those 70 minutes that he played and mentally getting up for it. And I think when you ask him to do that, you have moments like we saw against Palace where he almost looked like he was in a testimonial at times, passing the ball backwards and like 
slowly. Remember that one where, where Elliot makes the run and he has him right into space and he just passes the ball backwards. And it's almost like take him out to pasture and shoot him. Like that looks like a sick dog in the backyard. Like that's not him. That's not what Jordan Henderson does. When a guy makes the right run, he almost always makes the right pass. And I think you saw yesterday, you know, uh, the, the, the Nunez header, right? It's Henderson double backing around after Virgil wins the header off the free kick. It's Henderson running to the right spot, always being in the right place to recycle the ball and get it back into the box quickly for Nunez to head the ball in. And it's a perfect delivery. It's Henderson making the overlapping run before Elliott crosses the ball to Nunez on the first goal. Like it's, him doing those things, but I just don't think it's fair to ask that man to do that even twice in a week, even back-to-back matches. I I think it's asking too much. I think it's why we put ourselves in the position we're in because we've asked players like him at a higher age to do that over and over, and I think Klopp's learning it, and I think it's going to be Elliott and Bashitich with Thiago and Hendo rotating back and forth. Like, that's the yin and the yang. And I'm going to tell you again, you guys hate my broken record, right? All of this also comes when Tiago stopped playing every minute of every game. The midfield looks better. We press better and we're attacking better. And I know we need Tiago on those low blocks for him not to create goals, but the team plays better. The ball moves faster when he's not on the pitch. I don't know why it is because the man is the best passer on the pitch, but it just doesn't fit, and I, I hope Klopp is seeing that personally. I know that's partially psychological, by the way, Bickler, because I used to notice the same thing when Coutinho was there. It's a lot of that, you know, instead of everybody kind of like constantly moving, running and stuff, it's almost like you get this ball to a playmaker, and then everybody says, well, let's see what you got going here. And, like, you don't get the same work rates and everything from everybody else. I mean, I don't know that's what the reason is, but what do you do with the midfield moving forward, starting with this Bournemouth game? I think rotational is hard being Bajicic because I don't think you can start either of those players without Fabinho behind them. And that's still the worry. I I still think this hinges on Fabinho, and that's what makes me nervous. Like, uh, because I think that you can bleed players like those in if you've got stronger pieces around them. I think that's why Jude Bellingham is so important is because he's the ultimate two-way classic box-to-box, and he can play in the anchor if he needs to. So um, I don't know. Uh, without going out off the rails on that pipe dream, I think I still see Harvey and Bajicek as the rotational piece, um, and that's where it gets tough for me because I think like – I think it's Tiago and Hendo as a rotational piece. Like, I wish I could flop those two. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's what happens. Maybe you see Harvey and Hendo as a rotational, and it's Bajatek and uh, Tiago. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that makes more sense. I could see that happening, but I just don't think, I still think that the whole thing hinges on re- relying too much on Fabinho every match, and I think that's going to be a problem. Well, let me ask you guys this, because obviously we have, so we had the Bournemouth game, then you have uh, the Real Madrid away, then there's a huge gap over there. Do you kind of like try to, do you think about the Real games lineup at all, Gally, when you're trying to decide the Bournemouth lineup? No. Playing the Bournemouth match to make sure I get three points. I'm playing Real Madrid to hope I score an early goal. Maybe one of their players gets sent off and something freaking crazy happens. Let's be honest, guys. We're not going to the Bernabeu and winning and winning a match 
And that's what it takes just to take the thing to extra time. So if there's not something crazy ass like them getting two guys sent off in the first 20 minutes or Courtois clearing a player out, giving up a penalty and taking a red card, forcing a sub and moving down to 10 men, like unless something like that happens, which could happen, right? We've seen crazier things. This isn't getting a weak-minded Barcelona team at home. It They're still Real Madrid playing in the Champions League wearing those freaking lily-white, ugly-ass uniforms at home. Like, it, it for me, you could send kids out there and I wouldn't be bothered. I'm serious. I think, you know... It would be a good opportunity for on, Ox. I mean, personally, I would definitely focus on getting the three <laughs> points from Bournemouth and then you see what you have left in good shape exactly. to go against Madrid and see if they can do something. How about you there, Bickler? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the priority has got to be the league, and it's been that way for a long time, actually. Um, I just think, yeah, you you, you got to go out and handle your business versus Bournemouth first before you can worry about anything else. None of that other st- stuff matters. Um, it is a hope and a prayer. There's always hope, but, I mean, you're in one of the t- toughest venues in Europe versus one of the toughest teams. Um we just got to go in there and, and keep it respectable and, and hope that something breaks our way because you're not just going to walk stroll in even on good form and beat that team three. No, miracles can happen at Madrid. Sure. And Brian says, I'm not even concerned about Madrid. The league is the focus, which you, know, you don't rest and rotate players for a miracle though. If you, if you yeah. can't get three points at Bournemouth, you have no bleeping yeah. chance, no matter what you're looking for in Madrid. So like, the best chance in Madrid is you go hang another five on Bournemouth and you walk into there literally being like, yeah, we can actually drop five on you today. You better be able to score two. Like that's the only way we do it. Right. We go to Madrid and we literally blitz them the way they blitzed us. And we hope to like flip a score line around because they're going to score. It's Real Madrid. They're going to score. I think it's just, you know, like, I mean, we'll talk a lot about obviously next Monday and they will like, as we cover the Bournemouth win over here. Uh, But I think, you know, you got to get like an early goal and get Real a little bit concerned. They will, you know, make them say, are we Barcelona? What's going on? And then maybe you kind of like snack something that way, but something has to go your way. Kind of like either like a situation like you're talking about Galley or like a very early goal, a lucky bounce or something. In early in the game, something has to go your way to get hope, and then you never know. Once you, if you make it 2-0, do they start shaking? But way to go to that. Bournemouth predictions. Galley, go. 3-0. 3-0. Another clean sheets and three goals. What do you have? Because can you beat that? He has like no, a that was going to be my guess, and I'm not going to change it. I'll go 3-0 as well. Yeah, you guys, yeah, Brian Sheldon says, but 3 0 is the hot score these days. I'll go with the 3 1. Uh, this clean, I mean, eventually somebody is going to be able to keep her more goal. These chances, but yeah, keep her more, keep her more goal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, something's gonna, I mean, like I said, we do give up those chances, but let's face it, even when we were going full blast we still gave up chances hey you look at that freaking barcelona game we were just talking about you go back and watch that we gave up chances i mean the way we play and obviously when you play against a quality opposition you are going to give chances sometimes the things have to go your way and not to mention you got to convert on the other side as you keep converting like we did i mean you kind of like make the other team open up more and more and more not every team is united where they're just gonna 
fold in, mind you. But that's a different story. But it was a great weekend overall. The dogs are in shock. They had so much snacks. Stitch is telling Leo, he's like, dude, this used to be like this every fucking weekend. We've been on a freaking like a diet over here. Uh, but yeah, and then my brother, I did invite him this morning. We were talking on WhatsApp uh, right before I went on air. I did invite him to the show. I'm like, dude, come on live. We're going to talk about the game and stuff like that. He didn't want to. I still don't know why. He Shocking. Really, I think I'm going to pass on that offer. I'm like, going to go referee a game of Quidditch or something. <laughs> oh, I forgot to send him what you sent me, actually. But yeah, that's the, I, I think he had enough. Uh, torture out of me he was lucky enough not to watch it i guess so we'll give him that he was out of the country so his hours were all jacked up but this will i mean like you were talking about earlier victor this is the kind of thing that's gonna go on it's literally you can't even i mean it's historic so we're gonna be talking about this for a long long time an awesome weekend awesome monday hope everybody has a great week next week i don't think did we any any of us have a six point prediction last week or we were all set on four weren't we Kind of goes back yeah, to what I, I, yeah, I, I did four. Right? I yes. Was four. <laughs> and and basically, like I said, I was basically signing on for four. Like I was just like, okay, I'll take four. I think you were at three, weren't you, Bickler? That's why I didn't want to ask you where the three was coming from. Keep the optimism going, people. One more win. Let's keep it. Alan says, post a photo of your brother. Actually, you know what? I do have one where we kind of like mocked him. Uh, in terms of the Harry Potter character over here. So I'll bring that to the next podcast because we'll be talking about this game weekly. I think. <laughs> we'll make a segment every week for five minutes where we talk about the 7-0 game. So yeah. have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you guys Wednesday morning uh, where we cover the headlines in the morning show. Take care.